0: Good morning, church. Hope everyone's doing well today. I want to say thank you for the reception last week. Uh, I was talking with Chuck Lawrence after the service, and he said it was about 9.10, and you were just getting warmed up preaching. So I figured you didn't know we were having a party for you at 9.15. And so the secret was well kept. And uh, I finished last week about 9.20. I thought I was doing great, finished a little early, and discovered I was five minutes late. And uh, anyway, but now don't set your watch for 920 today, okay? I don't want to hear any alarms going off. But uh, we are entering into this summer with a focus on prayer. And last week we began our, our summer prayers series with a look at the Lord's Prayer. And we concluded that time with asking each of us individually as, as a church to make a covenant. A covenant of prayer a covenant of prayer for a time and for a place that we would begin to practice in a more focused way, prayer. And God's invitation to fellowship with Him, understanding that until we are able to find that time and that place to pray, specifically, we will never grow and mature to that place in our own relationship that we pray without ceasing so we continue this idea of prayer this morning, focusing on what I would call, or what we're calling today, intercessory prayer, praying for others. Now I'm reminded in, of the Reformation period back in the 16th century, the 1500s. One of the, the great theological shifts that was made came out of Martin Luther and his studies and his efforts to reform the Roman Catholic Church. And one of the theological principles that he began to develop is what we call, or what he called, the priesthood of all believers. And what Luther noticed in the church was that there had become a great chasm and gap between the laity and the clergy, and that the clergy, the priests, had this incredible intimate relationship with God, and that the lay people were completely and totally dependent upon the priest's for their relationship with God, for their prayers and interceding. It was the priest who would pray and intercede on behalf of the people. And Martin Luther, as he read and understood Scripture, began to understand that there should not be this great chasm between the priests and the laity, the clergy and the laity, but rather all of us, all of us who call upon the name of Jesus, all of us that follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all of us are priests. And priests, there's a couple different functions that priests serve. First of all, priests are responsible to God. Individually, we're responsible for our own lives before God. That, that, that a priest, that someone else is not an intermediary between us and between God, that we have that unique responsibility to, to be responsible for God. We will all stand accountable before God one day. And so therefore, we are responsible for our relationship between us and between the Lord. We are responsible to, to read and to, to understand and interpret and live out Scripture on our own but there's more to the priesthood of all believers than just that that individual accountability there's also that responsibility as priests that we do serve each other and part of the service that we provide and offer to each other as we minister to one another is that we pray for each other One of our, one of your, one of my responsibilities as a follower of Christ is to pray specifically for you and for us to pray for each other. That is part of our duty. It's part of our responsibility. It's part of our call as followers of Jesus Christ to pray for each other. Well, certainly this idea of the, the priesthood of all believers really began to take root in the, the, the separatist movement out of England that, that our Baptist ancestry comes out of. And, and Baptists have really taken on this idea of the priesthood of the believer. And so this morning we step back and we, we look at the idea, the concept of praying for each other, understanding that it's not just a, something that we do, but rather... Praying for each other, interceding on behalf of one another is one of the calls that each of us have in our relationship with God as we serve each other. So if you would, I'd like to just share some stories and, and look at some scripture that we're going to tell us and, and model for us and inspire us to this role and this, this call to pray for each other. First, in Exodus chapter 17. It's a powerful story of Moses interceding for God's people. Now, the children of Israel were in their wilderness wanderings. And they were just recently had come out of Egypt, were wandering through the wilderness, and they came to camp at a place called Rephidim. And the thing about Rephidim was that there was no water there. It seems like a strange place. To camp, If you have a mass of people that are traveling across the wilderness, why would you set camp at a place where there was no water? Well, I don't know the answer to that question, but they did. And as soon as they camped there and their their water supplies were running low, the people began to, to grumble and mumble and complain to Moses. They said, we'd rather be in Egypt and you brought us out here to die of thirst. And so as Moses went before the Lord and the Lord said, Moses, go and and stand at this rock and take your staff. And and Moses struck the rock and and water came out and and the people and the livestock were refreshed and had water there in that place. And it's interesting that as we look at verse 8, the scripture says, Then... Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Well, I wonder why Amalek came. Well, I suspect because there was water there now, right? And if you were a people in the desert, water was the key to life. And now this, this oasis, this river of water was coming from the ground to, to, to give water to the livestock and to the people there. And the Amalekites attacked And look at this story as we read in verse 9. Choose men for us to go out and fight. And tomorrow I, Moses said, will station myself on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him. He gathered the men to fight Amalek the next day. And it came about in verse 11 that when Moses held his hand up, that Israel prevailed in the battle. And when Moses put his hand down, the Amalekites prevailed in the battle. Verse 12 tells us that Moses' hands grew heavy. And they, it was Aaron and Hur that were with Moses. And they got a stone, a rock to put under him so that he could sit there. And then Moses and Hur held Moses' hands, excuse me, no, Aaron and Hur held Moses' hands up high so that Israel could continue to prevail and be victorious in the battle. And as Moses stood with his hands outstretched, interceding on behalf of God's people, Joshua and the men won the battle. What a beautiful and powerful picture of what it means to intercede for each other. Moses with a staff in his hand, I believe, that representing God's presence and God's authority. God's Word and promise of victory that Moses prayed with his hands lifted up and when his hands were lifted and stretched over the battle, over God's people, God's people were victorious. But when that covering came down, when those prayers were no longer being able to be offered, the battle grew difficult and loss was in sight. And I can't help but believe that this is a a powerful and beautiful picture of intercession. When Moses says, I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of of the Lord of God in my hand. Church, we are called to pray for each other. We are called to lift our hands over each other in prayer. It is our spiritual duty. It is our obligation to one another. It is a responsibility that we must each embrace with passion and with perseverance. Moses' arms grew tired. They could not sustain themselves in prayer. Moses needed help, but he needed that help to continue to pray for and to pray over God's people. And with that same perseverance and with that same commitment and passion, we too must pray over each other as we engage and as we encounter the struggles and the battles of life. Church, are you praying over family members? Are you praying over coworkers or, or neighbors? Are you praying over spouse and children? Are you praying over those people in your life that are struggling and battling for their own lives, for wisdom, for direction. Have you entered the battle with them on your knees, with your hands outstretched, praying over them the authority of God and of the Lord? Church, we are called as followers of Christ To intercede on behalf of each other. To engage in the battle that each of us fight as we seek to follow and be obedient to God. Church, I have good news. We have an example that we can follow. I want to call us now to the New Testament and to follow in the example of Christ Himself. In Luke 22 is a beautiful story as Jesus is there with the disciples in the upper room and they've just finished sharing in the Passover together, what we would now call the Lord's Supper together, and there's a discussion that begins to crop up in that midst as Jesus has told the disciples that one of them is going to betray Jesus. And as they all begin to deny that, the conversation, I guess, naturally comes up in which they begin to want to know who's the greatest among them because certainly the one who's going to deny Jesus would not be the greatest one, would they? And so they're having this conversation, this argument, I suspect, about which one of the the, the twelve disciples is going to betray Jesus and which one is the greatest of all. And in verse 32, Jesus speaks to Peter. I'm sure Peter boasting loudly that even though all these guys might deny you, Jesus, I never will. And Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed for you, Peter. I have prayed for you, Peter. Why? Because you are going to be sifted. You are going to be tempted. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. And Jesus says, my prayer for you, Peter, is that your faith will not fail. And that when you get through this time of sifting, that you will return to your faith, that you will return and strengthen your brothers. How powerful that in that night that Jesus knew that all of his disciples would deny him, that Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, I have prayed for you. I am praying for you. God is. Satan has asked in the contest to sift you. And I am praying that you will not fall from your faith, that as you struggle, as you deny, that you will not leave and run from your faith, but that you will come back and that your faith will win out. Your faith will be strong. And through that experience, then you will come back and serve and strengthen these brothers around you. And chapter 22 tells us in just a a few verses later that Peter was there at the trial of Jesus as Jesus had been taken into the the high priest's home and and Peter was there in the courtyard area and had gathered around with a small crowd and, and was there warming his hands at the fire when one by one, three different times, individuals came up to Peter and said... Peter, you you were with him. You're one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter said, oh no, oh no, I don't know him. I didn't follow him. And three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. At one point, Jesus and Peter catching eye with each other. As the rooster crowed and Peter recognized his denying of Christ and he ran and he bitterly wept. How comforting, how much hope would Peter have encountered and discovered in that moment when he remembered that Jesus had prayed for him and that Jesus had prayed after or when you fell that you would not leave and lose your faith. And we know that three days later that Peter was the first disciple in the tomb to see the empty tomb of his resurrected Lord. I can't help but believe that Peter's strength was because he knew that even in his failure that Jesus himself had been praying for him. But church... There's even better news, not just that Jesus prayed for his disciples and prayed for Peter. But the scripture also tells us that Jesus prayed for you and he prayed for me in the prayer of that we call the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. In verse 20, listen to what Jesus says after he has prayed for his disciples. He says in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, on behalf of these disciples here with me, but I also pray, I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus prayed for you and me in the garden. I'm sorry, this is before he gets to the garden. He prayed for you and me there, uh, most likely in that upper room with the disciples before they went to Gethsemane. He prayed for the disciples, and he prayed for you, and he prayed for me. He prayed for those of us that would believe in this word that the disciples would be sharing. Jesus himself prayed for you and for me. And as we explore that priestly high prayer, just very briefly, I think there's four things that he prayed for us. First of all, he prayed that our joy would be made full. That we would know the joy of the Lord. That his joy would encompass us and indwell within us. That it might be full as we live our lives, even through the difficult seasons of betrayal and denial and crucifixion. And death, that somehow the joy of God would be in us. He said, and he prayed for us that we might be kept from the evil one. That we might be kept from evil. Interesting that in the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus prays as a model prayer for us, that we would pray that we would be protected from evil, from the evil one. Jesus continued in verse 17 there in John 17, that we would be set apart or sanctified in truth, that we would be sanctified in the Word of God. That we would know his truth and that we would live out his truth in this world. And then in verse 18 he continues, Sending us into the world as I, as Jesus was sent into the world. Jesus prayed that we would be set apart, that our lives would be sanctified, that we would be different than the world. And then that we would go out into the world to be salt, and to be light, and to preach the good news. To the poor and the hurting just as he did and lastly Jesus prayed that they would be one that there would be unity among his people among the body of Christ among his church that there would be a unity a fellowship and a faith Jesus prayed these things for us he prayed them for our church there on that night before he was crucified. Jesus interceded on our behalf. But church, the good news continues because Romans eight thirty four tells us this, that Jesus continues to pray for us. Verse 34 says, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? who also intercedes for us. Jesus prayed for His disciples. He prayed for those disciples that would come. And today, He sits at the right hand of the Father and He intercedes on our behalf. He is the High Priest And as followers of Christ, we too are called into this priestly role of praying for each other, of interceding on behalf of each other. We are called to offer prayers of intercession for one another, for our world, for the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 12. Is another powerful and beautiful picture of the church at work. The church at work praying. In Acts chapter 12, we see that the church was praying fervently for Peter. If you turn to Acts chapter 12, and in those first verses, it kind of sets up the story and what's going on. King Herod is still in power and he is beginning to create havoc in the church. And those verses tell us that James the brother of John, had been recently arrested by Herod and put to death. And the response of the crowd, the response of the people of, of, of Israel, had so much favor behind it that Herod decided, well, if we can kill one and, and the polls go up, why don't we arrest and kill another one? And so Herod had Peter arrested with every intention... Of putting him to death and the scripture here in Acts chapter 12 tells us that the church gathered and made fervent prayer on behalf of Peter the church gathered to intercede on behalf of Peter and as we read the story starting in verse 6 on the night when Herod was planning to have Peter put to death the next day Peter was stationed, he was chained in between two Roman guards in prison. And an angel of the Lord appeared before Peter. Peter, in in kind of this half-conscious awake state, has no idea if he's dreaming this or if it's really happening. And the angel of the Lord appears before Peter. His chains fall off. Peter begins to make his way out of the prison Again, he doesn't know if he's dreaming this or, or if this is actually taking place. The church is back at, at John Mark's home praying. Peter makes his way out of the prison. The angel of the Lord disappears. Peter, where do I go? Well, he goes to where he knows... The church is probably gathered and praying. He shows up at the house where they're praying. He knocks on the door. One of the girls comes to answer the door. She hears Peter's voice. And so excited that she hears the voice of Peter, she runs back into the house, not letting Peter into the house, saying, hey everybody, Peter's at the front door. And they say, be quiet, we're praying for Peter. Isn't that like the church? We pray for miracles and when they happen we're oblivious to what's going on spiritually now it's just his angel out front it's not really peter well peter keeps pounding on the door and finally they go and answer it and peter comes in and peter begins to tell the story of how the angel of the lord came and freed him And the scripture tells us that wisely, Peter, after telling the story, after the church rejoices at at God's power to answer that prayer that Peter leaves, because certainly the next morning, Herod wakes up looking for an execution, and Peter's gone, and he sends the guards out to look. And Peter is nowhere to be found. Church, the work of that we are called to is the prayer of intercession is the fervent prayer of intercession yes interceding on our own but also as being led by the spirit gathering together to pray fervently that the power of god would be manifest in our lives and in the lives of others church we are called to pray sometimes It's obvious to know how to pray. God, we pray that Peter would would somehow miraculously be be released from prison. Sometimes it's obvious to know how to pray. God, we pray for the salvation of my son, of my daughter, of my coworker, of my neighbor. God, I pray for the salvation of my spouse, of my parents. God, sometimes we know how to intercede on behalf of others. Sometimes we know it's obvious that we need to be praying for God's healing, to be praying for wisdom and knowledge, to be praying for protection from the evil one, to be praying for joy, to be praying for healthy and healed relationships, to be praying for freedom from addiction and freedom from oppression, to be praying for comfort for those that are hurting and suffering. And yes, Jesus even tells us that we're to pray for our enemies. Pray for those that would want to persecute us. Pray for those that would want to hurt us. Pray for those that would want to slander us and speak ill against us. That we're even to pray for our enemies. But even as we would understand or believe we know how to pray, church, we must always pray Humbly, we must always pray God's will, not ours, be done. But church, there's also the occasion when we offer our prayers of intercession and, and we don't know how to pray. We can't come up with the words of how we are to pray with for, for another. Again, in Romans 8. Paul speaks to this when he tells us in verse 26, When we do not know how to pray, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Church, do you see, when we don't know how to pray, when, when all we can do is groan and, and all we can do is say, God, I, I, just, I don't know how to pray for my brother or my sister. I don't know how to pray, but God... Intercede on my behalf. See, I'm I'm part of the struggle. I'm part of the battle. I'm just not walking. Oh, just Spirit pray for them, you know. No. I'm engaged. I'm committed. I'm praying on their behalf. But at some point, the words don't come. And when the words don't come, we can be confident that the Spirit of God is interceding with groanings too deep for our words. And the Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God. In those occasions, maybe we would just lift our hands to the Lord as as Moses did over the battle and say, God, I don't know how to pray for my brother. I don't know how to pray for my sister. I don't know how to pray for my spouse. But I want to pray over them and ask Your Spirit to intercede on their behalf. Or maybe you you cup them in your hand and you lift them to the Lord and say, God, I don't know how to pray for them, but please, I intercede on their behalf. Are you engaged in the struggle? Are you engaged in the battle for their lives? So this summer, as we talk about prayer, as we look at the different aspects of prayer, my question for each of us is who needs your prayer? Who is God calling you to pray for? Who is God calling you to intercede on behalf of? You see, you are a priest and God is calling you to engage in the battle of other people's lives. Will you lift your hands on their behalf praying over their battles and struggles that God might intervene and bring the victory? Tony Campolo tells a powerful story of intercession. He says he was asked to speak at a a college, at an Assemblies of God college in Pennsylvania one night. And as he went there, the professors came before that, that chapel time and they gathered around him and they began to pray for him. And they began to pray over him that God would do something miraculous and mighty as he would speak that night to the students of that campus he said, the longer they prayed, the, the more they leaned on my, my head. They had their hands on his shoulders and his head. And the heavier that weight began to, to come upon him. And then all of a sudden, one of the professors cried out, God, I pray for Charlie Stoltzvis. Don't let this man leave his wife. And Campola was thinking, who is Charlie Stoltzvis and why are we praying for him right now? But here's a man that was so burdened. So burdened to intercede for a friend, a neighbor. And he prayed, God, send an angel to bring this man back to his family. Don't let Charlie's family be destroyed. You know who I'm talking about. He lives down the road about a mile. On the right hand side in a silver trailer. After the service that night, Campolo got in his car and headed down the Pennsylvania Turnpike. The guy was hitchhiking. He pulled over to help him, got in the car, and Campolo said, I'm Tony Campolo. And the guy said, I'm Charlie stoltzfus Campolo got on the highway and went down, got off on the next exit and turned around. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm taking you home. You left your wife and three children tonight, don't you? Didn't you? He said, well, you don't know where I live. He says, I know exactly where you live. How do you know where I live? God told me. He took him home. He said, Charlie went in ahead of him. Told his wife what had happened. Her eyes got big as saucers too. They sat down on the couch in the living room. and He led them to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Put their marriage back together. Charlie served the Lord faithfully from then on. Why? Why? Because one man that Tony Campbell had never met before had a burden, had entered the battle, the fight, to pray over a friend and a neighbor whose family was disintegrating, whose life was disintegrating, and he interceded on behalf of him in such a way that the Spirit of God was able to move and bring healing and redemption to that family. Church, God has called each of us to pray for one another. Who needs your prayers today? Will you lift your hands over them? Let's pray.